Welcome to the new episode of Home Visit with Tyler Siski and the Associates. Uh, today we're going to be riding solo. Uh, we do this, if you're new to the show, we do this from time to time uh, when there's a lot of news that we need to talk about and discuss, and this week is definitely one of those weeks. It's been a very busy week across the NFL uh, with the NCAA and some new rules that they're coming through with. Uh, the LSU debacle that occurred last week, the notice of allegations that came down from the NCAA, very conveniently, may I add, uh, on the day that they left to go to Tampa for the SEC basketball tournament. Uh, we'll discuss that, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the NCAA bracket that came out last night. And I'm going in, I got one, one, one team. I'm going in with one team that I think is going to win uh, the whole tournament that you can get good odds on, and it's good money and uh, give you one little pick. And so I'm either going to look really smart or really dumb here in a couple of days. We're going to start this thing off uh, talking about the NFL and everything that has occurred really in the last week. And it's the hot time right now. And as we sit here and tape, we're taping Monday, um, March the 14th at 1237. So about 37 minutes ago, uh, the NFL allows agents to start discussing new deals uh, with free agents, with teams. So that'll occur for two days. And then the NFL's uh, season that they can actually start signing free agents uh, starts on Wednesday at noon. So it's going to be a really busy couple of weeks leading into the draft uh, with players going back and forth. So make sure you keep an eye on that. Uh, we're going to start this NFL discussion, though, off with Calvin Ridley. Uh, Calvin, who I was able to recruit, uh, be around at Alabama, a uh, great kid. Calvin Ridley left the Atlanta Falcons um, in October or November, and what he ended up doing was he went home, he gambled $1,500 over this five-day period, basically with three bets. Uh, one was like a three-team parlay, one was a five-team parlay, and one was an eight-team parlay. The NFL found out because they're partnering up with these betting apps, and they're checking to see what's going on and who's betting and so on and so forth so they can investigate. Uh, they did find this out, and then he got a one-year suspension. So next February the 15th, he can apply for reinstatement, uh, to the Atlanta Falcons. But the key part here is this, is this doesn't count as a year of service. So for the Falcons, they're going to get another year on his rookie contract, where if this hadn't happened, he would have been a free agent next year, which is, this $1,500 bet is going to cost him a lot more money, is what I'm trying to say, than just $1,500. There was a lot of people that came out last week, and you know that's the good thing about taping once a week, is you get to see everybody's take on things. Uh, a lot of people came out and was like, well, he didn't bet against the Falcons. He shouldn't be punished a year. Um, there's a lot of talk about, well, he's gambling, and you got people who are uh, having, you know, doing the best domestic violence issues and all this stuff, and they're not getting this long of suspension. And they really thought that the punishment didn't fit the crime. Um, and, I, and I'll tell everybody this. The NFL has been very consistent on this, and they've never uh, really deviated from this kind of thinking. They're going to be all about if you gamble or you take performance-enhancing drugs, they're going to hammer you because they are trying to protect the integrity of the game. Now, do they let bad people play the game? Yes, they do. And that's just – that's the NFL. For better or for worse, that's the product they put on the field. There has been many times that people get in trouble with the law. Now, they may get suspended, they'll get fined and all those things, but they really don't ever get those year- or two-year-long suspensions or even lifetime in some, some cases when it comes to gambling. Um, the players know the rules, and, that's, and they know that they're not going to tip their hat on this. This is what they're going to do. They're going to be strict on it, um, and they follow through with a year-long suspension. Uh, I do think that they probably should have been a little bit more lenient 
uh, with Calvin and his particular situation because I do not think all situations are equal. Um, I think with the issues that he was having with mental illness um, and the mental struggles that he was having right there, he sh- probably should have been allowed a little bit of grace um, unless this was something that occurred over an extended period of time. And the last thing I'll say about stuff like this when guys get penalized is a lot of times, pretty much every time, the public doesn't know all the facts. There's a lot of things that go into these decisions, and they may just release to you what they want you to know, but they may be holding back other information that caused them to do things. So keep that in mind uh, because nobody really knows the full story besides the NFL and probably Calvin um, and let them deal with it. And uh, he's he's can appeal if he wants to. Uh, speaking of gambling, the NCAA uh, tournament starts this weekend. And so every around every single school in the history of uh, football and basketball and everything else, the NCAA is going, the compliance departments are going to go around to their their staffs and, and make sure they understand they cannot wager on the NCAA or the bracket or anything like that. So that's going to happen in every single school around the country this week. Uh, because here's how the NCAA works, so everybody knows. If you're a coach in any sport, you cannot gamble on any sport that the NCAA has. So if I'm a football coach, I can't bet on football, obviously. I can't bet on basketball, baseball, things like that. All right, you can go to a casino and play blackjack because there's no there's no NCAA rule, you know, sport of blackjack. But that's basically how the NCAA views gambling. Um, so that's something that, you know, make sure fans understand that. That's how now that I'm not coaching, that's now how we can pick games. And that's also how uh, when coaches uh, come on here, they can't talk about point spreads. So make sure everybody knows uh, those facts. Um, also in the NFL this week, uh, really busy week uh, with Aaron Rodgers, uh, deciding he was going to come back to Green Bay and stay at Green Bay. I'm sure he's going to get a nice little check there. Uh, Russell Wilson gets traded to Denver. Uh, Carson Wentz gets traded to Washington. And Khalil Mack goes to the Chargers, which was a big one. Uh, and last but not least, my man Amari Cooper gets traded to uh, the Browns. And fans, the thing, a lot of a lot of times these trades that are occurring right now, especially like in Amari's case. So if Amari was still on the roster uh, Wednesday by noon when the official league uh, season starts, he was going to be uh, – they were – I think the Cowboys were going to be out something like 10 to $15 million in a roster bonus. And so it's a way for them to get something of value without having to pay the $20 million roster bonus to Amari. Um, so uh, you're going to see a lot of those trades like that happen. The second thing is a lot of these teams kind of saw what happened this week. It's a copycat league, right? Well, guess who won the Super Bowl this year, which we've talked about it in, in nauseum in the past, is the Rams and the Rams model of how they built their team. Uh, they don't care about their draft picks. They're going to go trade off. They, they figure out they can go trade top draft picks and go get premier talent in the league. Now, the problem with that is this, is that that has a shelf life. Um, the reason that teams like to have draft picks is if you, if you hit, so let's take somebody like the Colts. All right, so they're, they're, they have Jonathan Taylor, who's one of the best running backs in the league, but he's still getting paid a rookie salary. He's still getting a very minimum salary, so it's not a big hit against the salary cap. If they were to go out and with the Rams, when they go out and they get a uh, Aaron Donald, they go get a uh, Jalen Ramsey, they go get a Von Miller, those guys are big hits against their salary cap. 
And so it's kind of like the transfer portal with the NCAA, and here's the similarities, is the taxes are going to be due at some point in time. You're going to have to blow that team up and start over at some point in time. Now, with the Rams model, the thing that's going to be interesting is once they do have to blow the team up and start over, how much draft equity do they have to rebuild? That will be, uh, I guess, the completion of the model to see uh, how it works in a long-term uh, environment. But at the in the meantime, they're winning a Super Bowl, which I think if a lot of these teams would, would win a Super If they could win a Super Bowl once every 10 years, they would take it. Um, so that's a very unique model that's going on, and I think you're starting to see that, especially with the Carson Wentz to Washington. I don't think they know they need a quarterback. They have a pretty good team minus a quarterback. they got a really solid defense. Uh, they got good running backs. Uh, they need some skilled players on the offensive side of the ball to really move this thing to the uh, to the next level. And instead of going and drafting a quarterback, they decide to go get Carson Wentz, uh, who is a veteran, to try to do that. So I think you're going to see more of that, especially as the uh, quarterback market falls, uh, especially this week. So probably as you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, there's been a lot of moves that we haven't talked about because they haven't happened yet. The biggest news uh, of the weekend that kind of stole the thunder from March Madness is the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, unretired, decided he was going to come back. You know, I've been asked about this like three times in the last 12 hours about this. And, you know, competitors like to compete. Tom Brady is the ultimate competitor. It's not like his skill set was diminishing. I think it's he's kind of defied all the odds. Um, he's going to be in his 23rd NFL season, which is insane. A lot of the guys that are coming into the league were not even born yet when he was uh, started to play in the NFL. But he had a very good year, and he's still on top of his game. And I think as a competitor, probably the hardest part, I think if he saw his skills diminishing and him hurting his team, I, I, I don't think he would have unretired. I think he would have stayed. I think what he sees, he's a competitor. He's still on top of his game, and he wants to compete. And – he made an emotional decision, and you see this a lot in the NFL. It's a, You see it from the player side, and you see it from the coach's side because it's such a grind. The season is the ultimate grind. I mean, you, they, these guys are going to camp in July, and they're getting done in, you know, in February, and it's every day, all day, and they're tired. And so at the end of the season – you know, where they're tired, they say, okay, it's they want a break, and so they announce retirement. Or they, you know, I'll need a change. Instead of, you know, taking the time, get your batteries recharged and make a good decision. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing here. I think he's had time to recharge. He's had time to spend time with the family. He's got his juice back, and, and he's ready to go, and, and I'm for it. You know, I think the more we have Tom Brady, the better the league is. Um, I love the hell out of him. I love watching him play, love watching him compete. And, you know, until his skills diminish, I think that's what you're going to get from a competitor. All right, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about uh, this new NCAA rule. We, we kind of touched on it a couple of weeks ago, closing off, uh, about this unlimited visits being given to a pr prospective student athlete. And I've had time the last couple of weeks to really call around and talk to some coaches. I've talked to some personnel guys. Um, I even discussed it with the NCAA. Uh, a few weeks ago. And here's where I can't understand and what I don't get. And I want the fans to understand this, okay? By the rules, a student athlete, prior to this, this new rule going into effect, student athletes are 
uh, allowed five official visits at, to any school they want to go to over the course of their senior year. Okay, those visits can start now. April the 1st is the new date that they can start on official visits, and it goes throughout signing day. All right, once once the year is over, if you decide to transfer, you know, you go in the portal or whatever, you're now um, allowed another five. All right, so five's always been the number forever. I mean, literally ever since I started coaching, five was the number, as long as I could remember. Here's the problem is fans don't understand this. Players, I would say, and I'm going to be extremely conservative here, I'm going to say over 90%, and it's probably a lot higher than that, don't even take the five official visits that they're allotted now. Very few prospects in the, in the whole process, very, very few, I'm talking about a very, very small number, actually take all five official visits. Uh, the average is probably around two, maybe a little bit more than two, because for every one that you have going to five official visits, you have, you know, 10 times as many people only doing one official visit. What an official visit is, is when the school, so like, let's say I was at Ole Miss, we could, we could go and we could recruit, you know, Raquel Rodriguez from Tucson, Arizona, and we could bring you in on an official visit, pay for your flight, pay for your family's flight, your hotel expenses, and treat you for that weekend, basically an all-expense-paid vacation to our campus. Where things have changed now is the unofficial visits. Now, an unofficial visit is where if Raquel was interested in Ole Miss, she would fly to Memphis on her own dime or get to Oxford however she wanted to. She would pay for her hotel, um, her food, everything, and she would come on a visit. Those have become more prevalent in the last 10 to 15 years to where you know, when, when we would actually sign a prospect, he'd probably been on campus five or six times during that course of his recruitment, and sometimes more than that. And so there's not a lot left to do once you get to an official visit. Now, let's, let's go backwards in time. About 10 years ago, you know, when you would get a kid on an official visit, it was the first time he was seeing academics. It was the first time he was seeing and talking to the street coach. It was the first time he was seeing the dorms. Well, now there's a saying in recruiting in the personnel world that every unofficial visit is an official visit, and it really is. You're doing the photo shoots, which we know we love so much. I got about 14 more complaints about that this week. But you're doing, you're going and making every single time they get on campus is almost like an official visit to begin with. So once they do come back for the official visit, there's nothing really left to do but just hang out and have a good time. So here's, here's the problem is every single school is allowed 56 official visitors for a year, five, six. Now, what you can do is if you don't use those, you can carry up to six over for the next year. So a maximum every year is 62, all right, to give the fans an idea. I cannot honestly, I can honestly tell you all, I do not remember the last time I even came close to use in my number of 56. Um, usually it was in the 30s or low 40s maybe uh, for a year because you really don't bring people on official visits unless you pretty much you're either going to get them or you are in the top two or maybe three. So here's what's going to happen is you're going to have some of these guys, not everybody, but a lot of these, these players are going to use this as free vacation. And they should. I mean, they should use the rules to their advantage. That's great. 
but you're going to get a five-star kid. Let's call him from Atlanta. Uh, you're going to get a five-star kid from Atlanta that really has no intentions. He knows where he wants to go. He's got it down to two or three, but starting April 1st, he's going to start going on every vacation spot he wants to go to. You want to go to San Diego for the weekend, mom and dad? Sure, let's go. Let's call up San Diego State and tell them I want to come on an official visit. You know, you want to go to, you know, during the season, you want to go to the uh, Auburn-Alabama game. Now, I'm really, I know I'm going to Florida State, but Auburn-Alabama game sounds like a fun thing to do this weekend. Let's call up, let's call up Nick Saban to see if we can come on an official visit this weekend. And they're going to start going on trips every single week. That's going to kill them academically because they're going to be tired when they get back. That's going to kill the high school coaches because every one of their players are going to be gone for the whole season. And more importantly, it's going to take away opportunities from somebody uh, that could be going to those schools. So, for example, let's say you're the number one player in America. All right, we're going to use my man Matt Dudak down at Mississippi State for an example. Well, all of a sudden, he wants to go He wants to go to the LSU-Mississippi State game this weekend. And he makes the phone call, and, you know, he's going to have to host the number one player in America. You have to host them. you got to take your shot because coaches are going, like, we got a shot at the number one player in the country. And so you're going to get all these schools they are going to be using up their visits. And so now instead of not even coming close to the – uh, 56 or even 62 if you've got them carried over, you're going to go well over, and it's going to keep you from bringing in all these kids. Now, when are all these kids going to come on their visits? They're going to do it in the summer. It's vacation time. And so now you're going to use up all your visits early and during the season, and you're not going to have any left for December when it counts. And so it, this is a big issue. Um, probably the most disappointing I was is talk to somebody in the NCAA, and I was like, just out of curiosity, who complained? Like, this is not a problem to begin with. So I was kind of curious. I could Nobody could tell me where the rule came from. Like, who had a problem? Who, who thought that the student athlete didn't have enough visits to take? Um, and that's just – it's going to create major issues. Um, it's going to create budget issues inside of some, some schools. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense. It just comes out of nowhere. Uh, there's a lot of rules that we need to be working on, and this just isn't one of them. You know, we need to be working on portal windows. We need to be working on NIL stuff. We don't need to be working on unlimited uh, official visits for prospects because five has been enough for a long time and more than enough. Uh, so I, that part I just don't understand. And briefly, let's talk about the strategies, strategies of official visits. You know, uh, I believe I've told this on here before. I don't remember when, uh, sometime in the past year. I was a never really liked – I think every school's different, but I'm just saying where I've been. I never was a big fan of the summer official visit, never never a fan of the in-season official visit. Uh, I think in the entire – my entire career, we've probably – we've signed less than a handful of kids from those visits in over 20 years. And so December and when you have time to spend with the coaches after the season, you know, December is the best time. And so my theory was this, and it's kind of my, my strategy, as I always said, I would tell the coaches, I was like, look, if you're recruiting a kid and you say these are our three dates in December and that kid can't give you one of those three dates, if he can't give you one of those three dates in December, I got news for you. You're not getting the kid. So let's don't practice recruiting. You know, if, they, if he couldn't give you one of three days, so he's telling you a week before signing day you're not in his top three, there's nothing you're going to do in December to, to, to change that kid if you can't get him on campus. 
So you getting him, he's not going to remember what happened at your place in June. He's already been to 15 other places since then. So if you don't get the guy on campus in December, uh, there's a there's a very low probability that you're going to get that kid. And so for me, that was my whole deal is, like, I understand there were very, there were a few times, obviously there's exceptions to every rule, right? But from a strategy standpoint, if you can't get them in December on an official visit, you're probably not going to get the guy. All right. So obviously it's home visit. Uh, and with recruiting violations and everything that came through with LSU this past week, uh, kind of hit uh, conveniently the day that the SEC basketball tournament started. And it cost Will Wade his job uh, over the weekend. So they got hit with the NOA notice of allegations from the NCAA, and he lost his job um, this past weekend. Uh, also, the LSU football team was uh, mentioned in one of those. Uh, they also had a level one, a level two, and level three violation. Uh, the only level one was from the laundering of money through the children's hospital from a football standpoint. And then the basketball program was hit with five level one violations uh, with Will Wade. So the big the, to, to rewind, in case you didn't, haven't read or you've been under a rock for the last three years, so Will Wade is accused of uh, paying a prospect, uh, a recruit, and then was blackmailed essentially by the fiancé of another prospect who was basically said that she was going to um, uh, talk if he didn't pay her, so they paid her. Um, and this all stems from the FBI investigation from three years ago. So for the last three years, this has all been out in public. Everybody's known about it. In the meantime, Will Wade has made $7.5 million in salary, uh, and he wrote it out. It's been five years since the alleged violations took place. There are a lot of other programs, obviously, with this FBI investigation that's been going through. Um, the NCAA, in their defense on this one, couldn't start a NCAA investigation until the FBI investigation was done with. But here's... I'm probably going to have a little bit different take than everybody else on this. And this is what really bothers me is the length of time that has taken place between the actual action and just the notice of allegations. Okay, just because the fans need to know this, just because the NOA came out, the punishment still hasn't been rendered. This is just a notice of allegations. Now you're just in the beginning. So we're probably another year or even longer away from actually getting the penalties from this from, from this action. And this is where I get a little sideways is where uh, who's getting punished here? Like who who's getting hammered with this when all these penalties come out? OK, Will Wade's lost his job. Uh, I believe Bill Armstrong lost his job. But you're going to have all the people involved in this are going to be long gone from LSU. Long gone. And so it's going to be some new coach and some new player and some new administrators that are going to be, sit there and have to hold the bag and get punished for something that they did not do. And that's what I have. I, I, I think we need to change the model of whatever we've been doing because I don't think it works. Because Will Wade, if he wants to, Will Wade can go get a job in the NBA next year and just carry on his, carry on his career. You're seeing it in the, in the NCAA football and NFL all the time. Coaches are getting hit with show causes. They just go to the NFL and they continue to coach. Now, can they coach in the, in the NCAA? No, I get that. But coaches can move on, and they can do other things. But now you got players and coaches that are going to have nothing to do with the penalty that get hammered. Uh, because now with the transfer portal, every kid that's worth his weight and salt is going to leave and go somewhere else. They're not going to get punished. 
They're going to go play somewhere else. And you're going to be left with a roster, a decimated roster and a coach that's trying to build something under penalties that he had nothing to do with. So I wish we could go back and and uh, fix the model or whatever we got to do. But I, I don't think it's right to hammer coaches or players that had nothing to do with somebody else's doings before you got there. Trust me, I went through it. Um, it's very difficult. It's difficult to build. And maybe maybe that's the message the NCAA, NCAA wants to send. Maybe they just want to have the school uh, hammered for something they had nothing to do with. I don't know. But in the real world, that makes no sense. This is like if somebody works, you know, here for us, you know, if they go out and, you know, commit a crime, then they go to jail, but so does everybody else that works here. We all go to jail too, and we didn't do it. Um, that just doesn't make any sense if you put real-world scenarios on it. Um, I just wish that there was something they could do to understand that. Will they? No. I think they'll continue to do what they're, they're going to do. Um, but, you know, I think you got this. I think you got Arizona State coming down the pipeline eventually uh, with football. There's a lot of things, that just the time frame of it. And, look, if you get, give coaches show causes and you get them out of there, let's get them out of there. But let's don't punish the kids that have nothing to do with the crime. It is NCAA tournament bracket time, and I really hope the college football committee is paying attention to this week and how much excitement is going on with the bracket. Let's expand this bad boy. Let's see how much money it makes. Let's expand the playoff because people like me, okay, I've watched literally um, – I watch the SEC basketball and I'll watch Gonzaga when they're on time from time, but I really don't pay attention a whole lot to college basketball until this week. And I'm going to watch every minute of every game. Why? Because the life is on the line. If you're a competitor, there's no other better way to be competing in, unless everything's on the line. That's what you. That's the drug. That's what you get out of it. When everything's on the line, that's what we get out of it. And so I hope college football pays attention this week to all the people who have no cares in the world about college basketball, including some sports fans like me, until it comes tournament time, and I'm literally going to watch every second. So please pay attention to that. A lot of talk in the SEC circles this week about Texas A&M getting screwed and not getting in. Um, again, I do watch enough basketball. Uh, I, I'm just teasing about the other. I watch enough to know a little bit about this. And everybody's like, well, they made the run. They got screwed. They were. They were extremely hot late. But you got to see the whole picture. They lost eight in a row. Um, in January and February, and lost nine of ten over the course of the same stretch, literally a month ago. So I think that's where they got hurt. Uh, they lost when you lose eight games in a row. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna ding you for that. But uh, they were hot, and they they had to win to get in. Uh, I was I was shocked. Uh, I guess like everybody else. But at the end of the day, when you lose eight in a row, I mean, you kind of get what you get there. I'm going to close this bad boy up today with giving everybody a nice little futures bet. You can get on right now. I looked on the app just a minute ago. The Tennessee Vols at plus 2,500. So if you bet $100, you will win $2,500 if they win it all. And I think they're going to, they'll end up playing Arizona in the Elite Eight. And I think Arizona's probably, I think the two best teams are in the exact same. Uh, bracket, but if they can beat Arizona, I think Tennessee wins it. I really do. Um, they are. They will defend you. They will get after you. They will score at twenty at plus twenty five hundred guys. You got to go there. You got to sprinkle a little bit on it. So uh, do yourself a favor. Sprinkle a little a uh, little bit of money on the uh, Tennessee Vols at plus twenty five hundred 
to get you get you a little little extra juice there going on going on spring break with and vacation in the summertime. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. Got a little short little spring break episode this week. Uh, we'll be back with guests next week. But a lot of news just wanted to cover and get in uh, while we could get in and make it a little shorter episode because we interviewed a coach and talked about this. We've been on here all day. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Uh, give us your three-star review because we know we love it so much. Make sure you check us out on Home Visit Siski on Twitter. Also, the Home Visit with Tyler Siski and Associates page on YouTube. Uh, check us out. Like us. Subscribe us. Thumbs up. MPW Digital or wherever you're watching. And until next time, take care. Thank you.